This is the Reclaiming Families podcast. It is our goal to expose the lies that undermine, erode, and destroy the family while discovering and reclaiming God's design for gender, marriage, family, and sexuality. So join us for open conversation about the struggles and joys of reclaiming families. Hi, everybody. We are so glad to have you back with us listening again to the Reclaiming Families podcast. We have a couple announcements for you all. Um, We're going to take a little break from the podcast for the month of December so that um, we can enjoy December and enjoy um, the holidays and making fun traditions and things like that. As a family, we'll also get to be thinking about um, what we want to do in the new year with the Reclaiming Families podcast. So if you have any requests, any guests you want to see come on the show, then you can direct message us. You can fill out the little thing on our website, reclaimingfamilies.org, and we would love to hear from you. But definitely keep on following us um, so you can stay up to date with all the announcements that are to come. But if you listen to our podcast last week, we had Hannah Haney on, and she was talking about education Um, Obviously, the importance of educating our children, and she also mentioned different options. She specifically spoke about um, public schools and private schools, but she mentioned that there are several different options. So today, we have on one of our very special friends, Sherry Lewis. Um, Actually, Sherry and Mark, um, if you've listened to a lot of our episodes, they they have been um, definitely honorable mentions throughout many of the shows, Mark and Sherry, um, are very important people in our lives, very important people in our relationship. And so we're very thankful for them. And we're glad to have Sherry on to talk to us a little bit today about an option for homeschooling called Classical Conversations. So Sherry, welcome to the Reclaiming Families podcast. Man, thanks so much. Um, for having me. It feels like a real privilege. And I feel like I've said this to you several times, Hillary, but yeah, super encouraged that y'all had a vision for doing this and you're just doing it. You do it every week. And it's so great. Yeah. We're having fun doing it too. It is a blast. And uh, it's so cool to go back and look at all the podcast episodes that have been put out and like, wow, there's, there's a bunch of them. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and so I think it's just a testimony to y'all a little bit of work, on a consistent basis, and uh, it's pretty cool. All the all the podcasts, and it is like I said, a lot of fun. Well, I think that's what the more y'all put out, I'm like, wow, that's no small thing. So you do need a break in December. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot. Well, how about uh, we start with maybe just tell us about yourself a little bit, Sherry, and uh, uh, kind of like your role in classical conversations. Um, Well, my name is Sherry Lewis. Uh, My husband, Mark, and I have, uh, we've been married for 23 years. We've been in full-time ministry that that whole time. We have two children. My daughter's 14. My son is 10. And we lived overseas for a good while. We moved back here in 2000, um, let's see, in 2015. And, um, and we started homeschooling then pretty much when we lived overseas, we did kind of a hybrid thing and I did not study, I didn't study education. So, um, 
my kind of developing my philosophy of education has been progressive. So, um, yeah, so even the decision to homeschool was kind of a progressive one. So once we resettled back in the States, long story short, um, as a kind of as a way to transition my kids, we decided to just keep homeschooling, helping them get settled back into American culture. Um, and in the process, my sister-in-law had told me a lot about classical education. And then I had heard about this homeschool co-op or homeschool. It's really a curriculum slash co-op um, classical conversation. So there was one in our new community. So we joined it. And um, since then, so that would have been in 2016 when we joined our first community Um And, you know, I'd have to unpack really a lot of the nuts and bolts about classical conversations for you to even know what a tutor is. But I tutored some with them, which would meant like on our weekly co-op day, I was with the younger kids. And now after four years of tutoring, my daughter is in ninth grade and that level is called Challenge One. And so I'm the director of the Challenge One program now. So in a nutshell, that's who I am, and that's what I do with classical conversations. Yeah. Gotcha. I, uh, so you, you said the word progressive, like you you didn't study education. I, I'm pretty sure you mean like progressive, like you were just figuring it out as you went. Is that the right meaning of progressive that you're, you're saying there? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I didn't set out when we uh, we've adopted both of our children, and when we were adopting, I wasn't like, okay. I know I'm going to homeschool one day. Um, And as a matter of fact, the thought of homeschooling was very overwhelming to me. I just assumed, okay, that's not a good fit for me. You know, you need to have studied education to be an appropriate homeschool parent. Um, And so at the time it was out of need when we lived overseas and we kind of did that in a very hybrid way. We had, we hired teachers, but the moms would help. And so I think progressive, once my, you know, once my daughter got to the age of learning to read, I'm like, wow, it just became natural. Like we teach our children the ABCs and, you know, so yeah, it was just progressive. And then as opportunity came up, like, I want to be the one to teach my child. This is a really, this is really a beautiful thing. Um, So yeah, that's cool. So, and I want to dive into that a little bit more as we go some, but what, like, tell us before we kind of get more into like that sort of thing. I want to hear like just the basic of what is classical conversation? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting as I was thinking about it, it, in my mind, there's like, you know, these two overlapping circles. Um, and one would be homeschooling and then one would be classical education. So, you, you know, we, you could have a whole podcast on homeschooling and maybe some principles of, of why homeschooling is a good option. Um, but then with that, there's classical education. And there so, are some schools that are just classical education, right? Yeah. They're few so and far between, are, but. Yeah, there are classical Christian schools. And that's just so like we could sit here and just talk about homeschooling or we could sit here and talk about classical education and classical conversations is unique in that it is a classical model 
of homeschooling. So it's homeschooling using classical curriculum and a classical model. So real quick, what, like, if you could do, like, just sum up classical, I know it's a lot, but if you could sum that up for people who might not have even heard that term. Yeah, I was trying in my mind, like, what is the simplest way? And, And this is another when we talk, when I talk about it being progressive, even my understanding of classical education has been so progressive, but um, let me just back up to say my sister-in-law, Cindy Leaf, when we lived in Thailand, she sent me an essay, Dorothy Sayers. This was written in the 1940s and she wrote a whole essay called the lost tools of learning. And so if I were to just kind of, sum up. So, and and a lot of people would credit Dorothy Sayers with a resurgence of classical education. So she was looking back, you know, classical would be the, if, you know, if like the layman's term definition of classical would be the way things always have been done. Mm -hmm. And so education, um, if you just think about the word classical, it's, it doesn't change with our culture. It's just, there is a classic way of learning and we want to stick to that yeah we don't want to just kind of so so in in broad terms that's what that's why the word classical is used but specifically if you think of modern education um, a lot of times the student is at the center and now let me also back up there's a distinction of classical christian education (laughs) because there are a lot of classical models that aren't necessarily christian right um but with a classical Christian, um, instead of the student being at the center, you know, because, you know, if we think about modern education, a lot of times um, there's lots of criticism because, you know, te- standardized testing, it kind of goes up and down with the student, how the student's doing. So we're going to change our standards dependent on how students are learning these days. Right. But classical Christian, we want to put God at the center. Hmm. And then um, all the subjects, you know, are, I think the three of us were all um, educated in the public school system. Right. Right. So all of our subjects were kind of compartmentalized. They didn't really, you know, like you learn them separately most of the time exclusive from one another. Some subjects will overlap, you know, math and science will overlap, history and literature will overlap. But in so classical, God is at the center and we want to integrate all those things. Um, it is all things are from him and through him and to him. Mm. So, um, so on the, so that's definitely a distinctive of the, the Christian part but even Dorothy Sayers talks about there's the trivium and that's been around for a really long time. And that would be three, four, like the word trivium would mean three parts. And so the first is the grammar stage. And it really follows like the way God made us as humans to develop. Yeah. So the grammar stage, like elementary school years, there's a lot of memorizing of facts because little kids, their brains are sponges. You know, we always talk about languages. They just pick up languages. They're constantly hearing and repeating and hearing, you know, like, um, your baby girl, she hears the words you're saying. She's going to repeat them back to you. That's how she learns. Um, and then the dialectic stage, 
you know, like 12 to 14, they're really wanting to make sense and they want to know why things work the way they do. Um, that's when arguing can set in. Like they, they've got a way of thinking. They want to understand why these things are. And then the um, rhetoric stage where you're really learning to communicate the things that, um, that you think and feel. So classical education, I want to follow those three stages okay. of learning. Um, that's kind of philosophically, that's what she talks a lot about. Um, and then other than that, um, you know, it, it was, it's heavy in the liberal arts. <laughs> so it's funny because, you know, when I was in school and I would, we would kind of talk about liberal arts, like, yeah, what's the point of liberal arts? Like there's, you don't leave there having known anything, but really at the core of it, it is learning how to learn. Yeah. High school education is teaching our children really how to learn. Um, so it's just, a, yeah, it's a completely different philosophy. Um, and I think the more and more I wrap my mind around it and see it in action, just the more convinced I am that oh, I'm so thankful you know, I want to educate my kids. This feels very rich. Um, and, and I love that all the subjects overlap. Yeah. 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 And I think that you've got me, like we talked about, it, I think I talked with Cindy about it a long time ago at, I think some lunch we had or something. And, and she, she, I mean, she sold me just in the idea of learning how to learn. And I think that's hmm. the most precious gift that, um, I wouldn't well, admit not the most, but it's a very precious gift to give somebody the ability to figure it on your own and and uh, and learn on your own and to think yeah. and reason. And I just wish I was better at it. And uh, and I I feel like I've been learning more recently than I have you know my whole childhood growing up. Yeah, you know, I, I was learning new things and and uh, I didn't have that. I, I I don't know. I just feel like in the public school system it was about passing the test more than the ability to take you know issues and problem solve and and uh, so I don't know if that's you know yeah and you you've shared like a lot of stories about how your oldest has learned how to think about things <laughs> like yeah. um <clears throat> I don't know if you you know, have any, I'm trying to think of an example that, you know, or anything that you would want to share, but it's just like, she's really impressive with like being able to think logically and reason Yeah. in a world where it's like everybody is yeah. I think emotionally good, thinking. Yeah. I think a good example is, you know, if, you know, we don't have to talk about it, but it's just the abortion debate. And, hmm. uh, for, um, her daughter. Yeah, I remember like just conversation with your daughter was, you know, was just going through the reasoning of it. You know, are are our babies humans? And you know, wow. and she was just thinking through all the the details. She says, Well, if babies are humans, then that means, you know, that this follows, that their life is valuable and, and important. And so, um, yeah, it was like that was her learning how to think and reason and yeah, yeah. and doing yeah. it better than a lot of other people do as adults. That's right. Well, and what's so cool, even that, um, 
you know, even just bringing in the the homeschool part and the freedom that we have to, to, you know, we, let me just say, um, for a homeschool curriculum, especially in the high school years, classical education can get pretty rigorous. Um, and so it's like, we have to have a structure, a pretty good structure, but we have lots of freedom to sit around and have conversations about meaningful things, mm-hmm. you know, for, for, yeah, for conversations to kind of, we we're not setting anything having to do with abortion necessarily, but in the natural context of, a, you know, those things can come up and we can totally stop what we're doing and, and relate. Okay. These principles that we're learning, cause she is, she's taking logic, you know, and, um, and she's learning logical fallacies. As a matter of fact, I was telling her about a conversation I was having with a unbelieving friend and maybe some of the things that this person was challenging. And she was like, I'm trying to even remember what it was specifically, but she was like, um, oh, that's called an ad hominem fallacy. Like she could, <laughs> she, she could bring that in <laughs> to the conversation. Uh, yeah, that's right. And, yeah, so it, it, it's and and Randy, you and I were barely chatting right before. It is crazy, you know. A lot of us moms say we are redeeming our own education. I mean, to, hands down, things are internalized so much more when you're having to teach someone else. Mm-hmm. That's right. When you're having to communicate it and. Um, I mean, I would say I was talking, my mom was here visiting us for a week and, you know, we didn't have a break week. And I said, mom, you're just going to have to kind of step into our life, but we want, we want you to be here when we're just doing our life. And um, I was explaining some of this stuff to her and I said, you know, um, well, let me just warn you, maybe this would be, this is, this will explain some of what classical conversations does or kind of how it is fleshed out. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe I had American history one time in school, one time I covered American history events, American historical events. Um, but what's so cool about, um, this classical model is that, you know, the kids from like, you can start at four years old all the way till they're 11 and there's three cycles and there's just a, um, pieces of information from seven different subjects, we would say strands. So, sorry, I digress. I'm kind of going moving backwards, but to memorize these things, lots of facts and information you're memorizing, but we would say you learn it in, in layers. So the kids have memorized like certain dates from American history. Let's just say American history. Um, And then they get into ninth grade and we're studying, you know, American documents, historical documents. They're reading the Declaration of Independence and they're reading the Constitution and they've already memorized all these facts. And then it's coming together and and we would say those are pegs in their memory. It's like, oh, that's what that sentence that we memorized, you know, three different times we went over it and over and over. Now that okay, it's all coming together. It's all coming together. And then they cover it again their junior year. You know, so we would say, if I'm going to paint this wall over here, I'd do one base coat. I'm going to need at least three coats for that to be solid. 
And that's the layering that gets to happen yeah. with um, a lot of this is it's not, I didn't cover it one time. You know, I got the facts in when I was little. And then when I went to this middle stage, I wrote a couple of papers on it and my, you know, composition class. And then now I'm, I'm really diving in in high school and we're, we're having Socratic circles about it. We're sitting here with our classmates talking about the significance of, um, you know, the Civil War and what Abraham Lincoln, and then we're learning how to debate. And it's, you know, it's a Lincoln-Douglas debate. And why is it called the Lincoln-Douglas? Oh, it's because Abraham Lincoln and Douglas were having debates. And it's just like it all starts to come together. And it's, yeah. it's then you walk away and it's solid. And it yeah. really sounds like, you know, in the public schools right now, there's such a debate on like what has been taught in history and what's been left out of history. But it just seems like also it's being painted with an unbiased, like this is what happened. And then the kids are left to kind of reason and think and even debate back and forth on what they really think about the facts. You right. The school is unbiased or the... The, the curriculum is unbiased, so... Of, of uh, classical conversations? Of classical education. Okay. And so they're being told, like, they can just, just like, here's the facts. Y'all reason about it. Y'all think about it. But it sounds like everything's being taught. Because, you know, I might be getting off topic, but there is just the whole, like, oh, well, you're leaving out the bad parts of history because, anyways... I'm yeah, getting, yeah, yeah. I'm getting off, but but I do think it's it's exciting to you know like just those layers putting those layers together you know like okay yeah yeah you learn a date about the Civil War happened in this date this time period and then and then a few years later you might like okay and then and then you know this person wrote this document but and then later as you begin to piece those together you think like okay so this was going on at the time period and this is when this person wrote this article or this this document and this was, you know, going on and he was thinking through and you kind of, uh, you put those pieces together. I do think it does bring like this aha moment. Like, wow, the world of the civil war, they weren't dealing with the same stuff we're dealing with today. It was a yeah. different time. It was a different. And, uh, and it's like those, I don't know. It seems like you have to learn these little bits and pieces to, to know that. Right. I don't know if that makes sense or I, I don't know. No, it totally, because yeah, it makes a lot when you just learn dates kind of exclusive from others and, you know, not the whole progressive. Um, yeah. The, you see them. Oh, the stock market crash. That's why that, Oh, that happened kind yeah. of right after the industrial revolution. Like everybody was all excited about all these new things they could have and do. And, you know, they just presented, I learned, my mom was visiting and, you know, my 13 students were presenting. They just picked a topic that we had covered, do a research and present it. I learned so much from them doing that. They had like three to five minutes to present their history project. They could do it on anything. And, you know, we were taking notes. So, <laughs> and they only cool. had a week to do it. You know, yeah, it wasn't yeah. like this big old elaborate thing. It was, um, yeah. Cool. So, really cool. 
so you kind of started to hit on it, but are there any other distinctives, not just of homeschooling, not just of uh, classical education, but of specifically classical conversations that you haven't um, hit? I think probably the, the only thing I haven't hit is how imperative community is. Mm-hmm. So um, for one thing, because the majority of the moms who are homeschooling were not classical, classically educated. And so, you know, there's some training, but you know, the three of us were in ministry together and you know, when you're, when you're going against the, not, not necessarily against the grain, I don't feel like we have anything personally, people aren't fighting against us because we're classically educated, but it's just not going along with the culture, mm-hmm. you know, we're going against the grain a little bit and it's, pretty significant to have um, a community as you're all trying to, you know, educate yourself and um, kind of stay on track with the classical model. And, but even more specifically with the Christian, Christian classical model, it's really imperative to have imperative to have a community that you're doing that with. Um, It keeps me challenged, keeps me accountable Um, and it keeps me excited about what we're doing. So the community is a huge piece. Um, and thankfully in our area, we have several, uh, CC, we, we shorten it to CC classical conversations. We say CC, lots of CC communities that are really really good. Now with that community, if, um, let's just say like, okay, we decided that we wanted to homeschool, our daughter with, you know, the classical conversation model. Now, is that something where we'd have to commit to, like you have to commit to um, five days a week in class or like you kind of mentioned before, like, can you, your kids go to other tutors certain days? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like what does the week look like with CC? Yeah. Well, with CC, you meet with your community just one day a week. So it is, um, it is definitely homeschooling. It is the mom and or dad is is considered the teacher. And then the, the person, your tutor or your director on that particular community day that you have, they are there to, you know, to support the parent just that one day a week. So there are like, even in our community, there, there are a couple, lots of co-ops where you might would go three days a week, or you might would just drop your child off one day and they get all their major subjects and then they come home and do homework. But classical conversations, um, it's not a drop-off program, the, especially in the younger, in the high school, you can drop off, but you are there, so you the the tutor is is presenting the new grammar, which would be the new memory work, and she presents that to you. The mom or dad are sitting in the classroom. Here's how that uh, that memory work is presented, and then they go home, and you've got four days of homeschooling to do with your child. Um, so that's what it, you know, again, I could go into a lot more detail, but basically that's, it's the one day a week. And then you have a structure at home that you carry out yourself. So you kind of hit on this at the very beginning, but like when you were saying, you know, um, you don't have an education degree, but when I think about being responsible for my kids, 
education, part of me is like, you know, I was never, I wasn't a bad student, but I wasn't a great student. Like, you know, in college, I, you know, skipped my fair amount of classes and stuff like that. And so I think that when I think about I'm responsible for making my daughter and any other, you know, future children, like their education, it's really intimidating. And so like, what would you say to, my mom used to always say, I could not homeschool, my kids would be dumb. And I think that like, I I feel like that, but what would you say to, to those moms or dads? I would say that's a lie. <laughs> I mean, uh, you, especially if you, so as the director of a ninth grade program, I was completely intimidated by doing that. But we directors call ourselves lead learners. So I'm learning. And, and so as a parent, that's what you're, you've got to approach it in that same way of now, you know, in the little tiny years, you're like, okay, I can read to my child. I can teach them their ABCs. Mm-hmm. This is, I want to engage my child in learning and taking in information. And you are absolutely 100% equipped to do that. Yeah, that's good. And yeah. I think what I love about it is that, you know, you're saying it is a sacrifice. It does take time. You do have to learn, be the lead learner, but you're also taking responsibility for your family. And you're mm-hmm. saying, you know what, my children are worth the sacrifice. And, and I, you know, I was just reminded the other day when somebody was talking about uh, I think it was the dichotomy of the cross that life is really found in dying to yourself and serving others. Like that's where life is really found. And uh, it's not found in me just doing what I want because it's just, it ends up leaving me empty. But when I die to myself and I, I serve somebody else, then it's like there's, yeah. there's joy there. And, uh, and so would you say like it's been, yeah, how do you think about the joy versus sacrifice in raising your children? I mean, I'm, I kind of know what you'd say, but maybe I don't yeah. Ask. I mean, you know, it, it comes back to. I feel like Hillary and I have talked a lot about the concentric circles, and ultimately, what do I feel like God has called me to, and how has He ordered those priorities? And um, now, I would want to be very careful to say. You know, I don't feel like homeschooling your children is synonymous with prioritizing your family because I feel like plenty of people um, who don't choose to homeschool, their family is their priority, you know, is their top priority. So I want to be careful not to communicate that. But yes, when it is a sacrifice and I and I think, you know what, I'm not I'm not, you know, formally furthering my education so that I can have a career. Like I'm missing out on a lot of those things. I've I've had to lay some things down. I'm not having income. You know, I'm not, I'm not receiving a lot of, you know, social security right now. that's going to take care of me when I get old and I'm, I have to really trust the Lord with a lot of those things, but I'm sacrificing because I feel like number one, I'm convinced my role as a, as a mother, my children are my priority. But also right now, for who my kids are and where we are, homeschooling is our, for us, is our 
is the best option for our children. And so I could be doing something else with my time, you know, and, and don't, don't think that I don't have days where I'm like, Oh, be so nice if I could drop them off at school and I could be working, you know, and I could make enough money to fix up this house or whatever. Um, But yeah, I just have to come back to, but really feel like God's calling us to do this for now. These are two little humans that have been entrusted to me and um, to us. And I feel like these are, God has given us the privilege. And I I also want to say some, I know that circumstantially, for us right now, I believe that this is the best. You know, we all want to do what we feel like is the best for our families. But let's say, you know, God forbid I become a widow. You know, my kids are still school age and I can't stay home and homeschool them. Are they receiving less than best because of that circumstance? And I would say no. They, because we believe that, you know, God leads anyway, God leads and he is completely sovereign and good. Um, yeah, for some people, it's just not the best thing to homeschool. So, so on that note, like who would you say, like what families or what kids are, like, would you say is the best fit for CC? Um, I definitely don't think there's a mold. I mean, okay. I, absolutely anybody, um, any type of family, um, any type of child, any personality, any gift set um, is a good fit for CC for sure. Um, I would say it would be difficult to, um, you know, have zero regard for the Bible or to be an atheist and you right. know take right. full advantage of, of what CC is. But yeah, type of family, man, we are an, an extremely diverse group of people. So I don't, I don't think there's not a good mold. Cool. And so what if, what if like, uh, what if you're, you know, you, let's just say you've been in public school for elementary school and then middle school, you're like, you know, I want to try to do classical conversation, you know, conversations, do CC. Yeah. Is it a, is it something that, because it sounds like something that's building. Yeah. Can you start halfway in the middle or is it like, ah, we. Absolutely. Now the cool thing is Lee Borton, she's actually the lady that started classical conversations and she started it with her children when they were in high school so the high school years um she developed that program before she ever but but as she was as her she was educating her kids in high school using this model she was like man it would have been so much better if i had started in elementary school and then that's when she went backwards and developed the elementary school program we have people joining all the time they join in high school Hmm. um now is it latin is a big piece of classical education and it's a little challenging to step into latin but plenty of people start studying latin in high school and in college you know it's it's, you're never too late for that so what age like I know there's a program called Scribblers. 
I think. Yeah. And that's the youngest. <laughs> what age do kids start if they did start at the beginning? Like preschool or? Typically, like to come and be a part of the community, typically the youngest age is four. Okay. So you can enroll in a community. Now, I, I Scribblers came along after my kids were a little older. I'm pretty sure Scribblers is something you can start at home as young as you want to, like use some of their stuff. But to actually pay and enroll in a community, you need to be four. Okay. Now, to pay, like what is the cost for say a year of CC? Um, again, this is off the top of my head. So the tuition is like 300 and man, this is terrible. Almost 300 between three and three fifty. Okay. Um, yeah. For the youngest age group, if that's all you were going to do, and you had one child and you're going to enroll in, the foundations. That's what the elementary level is called. Okay. So is that, I mean, I guess that tuition, that doesn't cover books, right? You materials, supplies. And so, yeah, the basic, I mean, you know, just a, a family of one, two children, like what do you think it would cost to homeschool? To do CC, not just homeschool. Oh gosh. Say you're talking to the not, (laughs) uh remember details um okay let me let me back up and just tell you this let's say we're just talking about elementary school um one other way that lee borton specifically would simplify things is you just want you just need to focus on um reading writing and arithmetic it's kind of like Go back to Little House on the Prairie, reading, writing, and arithmetic. And you could have all ages in one schoolhouse doing that. So the one-room schoolhouse. And so, you know, let's think about your baby girl. Let's say she's six, you know, five and six, kindergarten age. You want a simple, you're teaching her simple math. You're reading books to her and beginning to teach her to read. And then she's learning how to hold a pencil. So at CC, you're going to just start learning fun memory songs, and then you're going to have your own math curriculum and your own reading curriculum, and that's what you're teaching her at home. And, and a lot of people don't even get a math curriculum until you're like, you know, fourth and fifth grade. Yeah. It's just count, sort, play with numbers. So with CC, if all you did was do this um, – Curriculum, you get this one book with all this memory work in it. Outside of that, you have a math curriculum and a reading curriculum, and then you're you're set. So, if you're, you know, like I think, okay, math curriculum, let's say it's a hundred dollars for the year. Let's say if you got a whole big reading curriculum, two to three hundred, depends on how big, and you're going to use that for several years. Yeah, Um, it does not have to be expensive at all. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah. Excuse me. So I guess one of our last questions would be, how does someone get involved? So someone's heard this. They've said, wow, we really like the idea of classical education, classical Christian education in the home. Classical conversation seems like it's a good uh, fit for us. How how does someone get involved? Um. (coughs) 
Well, if you go to the Classical Conversations website, um, you will be able to find there is one tab where you can find a community near me. You know, find a community near me. Put in your zip code and any community in your area will show up there and the director of that community's contact information will be there. And so each community, you know, has a limit and they have a cap of how many families they can take in. And so um, we thought we were going to move a few years ago and I contacted like three different communities in the city we thought we were going to move to just to get that information. How many spots do you have in your community? And honestly, if there, if you had like four communities to choose from, they, they always have an open house after the new year and you can, you know, you can be like, I'm going to visit four, just get a feel. Yeah. Which one of these places I like, but for sure it would be what community is in your area and talk to the director of that community. That's cool. And we hadn't hit on it exactly, but just how big, uh, how big are the communities? Like what you said, there's a cab, but is it, is it 10 people, 15, 20, 30 or what? Uh... Yeah. So um, we have a, a, a totally maxed out community and um, <laughs> here you are with numbers again. Randy. <laughs> um, we have, so like each families, little class. Families. Yeah. Let's say how many families. Yeah. So, well, and that's hard. Let me tell you how many students, because we have a lot of large families too. So it, okay. it maxes out at the students. So let's say we have in the ages, um, in the elementary ages, we have probably seven classes and eight kids are their limit. So roughly 50 to 60 elementary school kids. Okay. And then this year is the first year we have had. So once you get up to through sixth grade, that um, that's considered the foundations. And then from seventh grade through 12th grade, those are all the challenge years. So challenge one, I'm sorry, challenge A, B, and then challenge one, two, three, four. We have every one of those levels and almost every one of them I'm pretty sure every one of them are full, which is 12 is the max in a class. 12 is the max in a challenge class. So so it seems like yeah. it, it gives good opportunity to be friends. Like I see, have seen pictures recently of, um, of the whole ninth grade class at your house eating ice cream. And it seems like it's kind of like a smaller class is opportunity for them to get close and like, build some good friendships oh yeah and to it's, learn. and yeah. to learn right nobody yeah nobody's getting lost in a class size of you know 40 you know right right we're yeah it's been it's really been incredible and you know not all communities are that full and you might get in a class that's got five kids you know in your ninth grade class um but Regardless, there's, you know, really good community happening yeah. among the kids. Too, In your experience, up. have they like been on like same sports teams or like have you had to go and find other friends, other places or has the classes um, kind of been enough? Well, the one thing that's difficult is that um, 
a lot of our families are spread out. Like they're, I mean, some families drive an hour just to get here one day a week. And so for them to see each other outside of that class is not as easy. Mm. So now that they're, you know, when they're little kids, they hardly, they rarely ever saw each other outside of that day. Some people live near one another, but now as teenagers, you know, they communicate during the week, um, FaceTime each other, chat on their phones. Um, so they stay connected. And a lot of times when they're working on projects, they do it via zoom and very, it's like my master's program and a lot of those things. Yeah. Say that again. I said, it's like my master's program. Yeah, we're right. all over the country zooming together all the time. And yeah, yeah, yeah. One question, just uh, at some point we have to wrap up this uh, conversation. But what about things like sports, you know, and stuff like that? Is there um, do like do your kids have the opportunities to join a team? Some like I I don't, I don't do. Yeah. Is there well, sports? let me tell you. Um, Again, it depends on what area you're in. I We feel ex- especially fortunate uh, Knoxville has so many opportunities for homeschoolers. Um, on the one hand, um, I have a friend who homeschooled all her kids, and her children were able to run cross-country with the public, the nearest public school. Some counties and some public schools will let homeschoolers come and play sports. So I have one friend whose child played softball all the way through with a public school and it got scholarship. This other friend with cross country, all of her boys got cross country, full cross country scholarships because they ran with a public school. Well, now there's a homeschool sports league that's pretty competitive and so my daughter had this run cross country and played soccer. Um, they have basketball, volleyball. Okay. Um, yeah. So lots of opportunities. That's really cool. So, I mean, if you were to have any closing remarks, would is there anything else that you think would be helpful for people to know about classical conversations? Um. Man, I think y'all are very thorough with your questions. I think, I think information is key. And so, um, Hillary, you and I talked about just having like little information. I think a lot of times we're afraid to ask questions or show interest because then we'll feel like we're locked in somewhere. I'm like, don't ever feel that way. If you're interested in learning more, then visit an open house or contact um, a director and get more information. And then if you feel like, no, this is not a good fit for me, then, you know, do something else, but don't be afraid to ask and yeah. Uh, yeah, get more information about it. That's good. And let me just say, you can find the Dorothy Sayers um, essay online for free anywhere. It's yeah. called the Lost tools of learning, the lost tools of learning. We will, mm-hmm. uh, put that in the notes so that people can get that too so yeah and one more thing um classical conversations has put out a lot of books but one in particular is called uh classical christian education made approachable classical christian education made approachable yeah cool and that's that gives a pretty um 
easy to read, but thorough overview of what classical education is. Awesome. All right. Well, Sherry, thank you for coming on and talking with us. It's been fun to get to hear about this. And then um, for everybody listening to our podcast, we just want to remind you that we are taking a break in December and we will catch you back at the beginning of the year. But Sherry, thanks so much for being with us. Yeah. Thank y'all. That was fun. You got me more excited about homeschooling my kids. Yeah, Yeah. good. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Reclaiming Families. Check us out at reclaimingfamilies.org where you can find our latest podcasts, blogs, news, and events. We look forward to seeing you all next time.